Hello again, fight fans, and welcome to episode number 180 of The Neutral Corner. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. Loaded episode. We got a lot of ground to cover. And uh, yeah, a few of you guys have talked about my hangover yesterday. <laughs> Hopefully, I look a little healthier. Uh, I got some of my complexion back. And yeah, uh, yesterday was a rough one. But we got you know a lot of rest. We ate. We're good. So this is episode uh, 180 of TNC for Saturday, July 27th. Guys, before we get into news and notes, just a quick reminder. We got Super Chat here on the live YouTube feed. So if you want to get a question bumped up, and if you just want to tip the show and contribute to the show, please do so. Um, we appreciate all the support we can get. Of course, we also have a Patreon and everything else. But your fee for this episode is simply to like this episode. Check the like button. Punch it. Kick it. Elbow it. Headbutt it. I don't care. Just smash that like button, guys. And we're about to get started here. Hopefully the stream here on YouTube isn't too bad. We've had issues with the internet over the last week or so. I don't know what's going on. I called AT&T and they're coming to the house. They're supposed to come within the next 48 hours or whatever it is and uh, check everything out. So uh, here we go, guys. News and notes. Real quick, Errol Spence, Sean Porter, it's official for September 28th at the Staples Center in Los Angeles. Fox pay-per-view, pay-per-view. I believe that's five pay-per-views from PBC since last December. That's a lot of pay-per-views in what, nine, ten months? I don't know, man. Now, that being said, I like this fight a lot. Okay, I like this fight for Errol Spence. Uh, I like the fight for Sean Porter. He's earned it. I don't know about pay-per-view. I'm not sure if it's pay-per-view worthy. I'm not sure it really makes sense in Los Angeles at Staples Center. But for whatever reason, PBC has decided that they're going to start doing events out there. That's where Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury fought, right? And that was a great fight. It was an awesome fight. Uh, a successful event, Right. And then, uh, of course, they've been doing Barclays in New York for a while. So it looks like it's going to be Barclays in New York, Brooklyn to be exact. It's going to be Staples in L.A. They seem to prefer Staples more than any other venue in the L.A. area. And then, of course, your occasional Vegas fight for the really, really big fights. I like that fight a lot. I favor Spence, and I favor Spence pretty decisively. But Porter is rough and tumble on the inside. And say what you will, all things considered... Sean Porter, probably going to be the best overall opponent of Errol Spence's career because he's a true welterweight, unlike Mikey Garcia. Mikey Garcia, pound for pound, is better than Porter. But Porter's a real, a real welterweight. So I think, man, all things considered, Porter's probably top five-ish in the welterweight division. That's a good test for Errol Spence. I'm curious to see what he does in that fight. Okay, so I talked about this a little bit uh, in my video yesterday. But, of course, I've been tweeting about it all weekend. Don't really have many updates, but Maxim Dadashev. Of course, we know he lost consciousness in the ambulance on the way to the hospital after his fight Friday night. Suffered a brain bleed. Subdural hematoma is what they call it. Had brain surgery on the right side of his skull. In fact, they had to remove a, a bit of his skull to, uh, to help with the brain swelling. But apparently, he's in critical condition, but stable. 
So uh, really don't have any other information right now, guys. Really don't have any more info than that. Just going to have to keep us posted with, uh, with the recovery. And, and as, as I get information, I'll give it to you guys. But uh, man, that's, that's just brutal. It's just brutal. And you know, this is a brutal sport. And thank God that Buddy McGirt stopped the fight after the 11th round. Because what if Dadashev went out for the 12th? He'd probably be dead right now. I don't think that's hyperbole to say that. If he had a brain bleed after the 11th round, what would have happened in a sustained beating three more minutes? Because he wasn't going to quit. And I don't think Matthias was going to knock him out. He doesn't have the one-punch power. So Buddy McGirt may have very well saved someone's life. Now, the quality of Dadashev's life from here forward, who knows? Obviously, his boxing career is over. Just a sad situation. All right, so before I get into the review, I wanted to talk real quick, and we can talk more about this if you guys have questions, uh, but drug testing as it relates to Pacquiao Thurman, because I've taken some heat for this, for some of the things I've talked about and reported about as it relates to this situation. Some of the people in Pacquiao's camp are really pissed off at me, and I understand that. There are people on the internet taking... um, the no Vada thing and, and adding their own conspiracy theories to it. Guys, if the stream quality is poor, I apologize. Right now, the internet situation in my house is bad. So uh, please bear with me and hopefully it'll fix itself as we go here through the video. I don't understand why this keeps happening, but as I said... We're going to have some technician from AT&T come out to the house and look at what's going on because it's ridiculous. Anyway, back to testing for Pacquiao and Thurman. Um, Look, I need to clear up again the CBP. That's the clean boxing program from the WBC. There is a program the BC has. Top 15 fighters in each division are enrolled. You're eligible at that point. If you're rated with the WBC, any division, 17 divisions, top 15 fighters, you start to do the math here. It's well over 200 fighters. And um, all right, guys, I have a few of you saying my upload sucks and the the quality of the stream is really, really bad. So I'm going to give you guys an option here. Would you rather me cut the show here or you want me to keep going? If the stream is that bad, so we'd rather me cut the show and try it again later or try it again another night, let me know. But if the stream is really, really bad and you guys, if it's that bad to where the show is unwatchable, let me know. From what I can see here, it looks okay. But for some of you guys, you know, maybe it's, it's too bad. So uh, I will say again, I'm also, I'm recording it to the mic here that's going to go out to the podcast later. Okay, so... Yeah, you guys, I see a few of you refreshed. <clears throat> so if the stream is bad, refresh your server and, and maybe it'll, it'll fix. But yeah, okay, most of you say that it's pretty good. So um, keep going. All right, I'm going to keep going. Clean boxing program, okay? I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to get into too much details here, but I need to, to explain this. Both Manny Pacquiao and Keith Thurman are enrolled in clean boxing program with the WBC. And they weren't even fighting for a WBC title the other night, but they're ranked by the BC. So they're in the top 15, they're enrolled in the program. Okay. Um, Because of that, you're eligible for testing 365 days a year. However, guys, I have to explain the way this works real quick. The WBC, I I think it's quarterly. Don't quote me. I, I believe it's quarterly. 
takes a certain amount of money, a budget that they allocate for this program, they give it to VADA, and they say, here is a list of all top 15 rated fighters in all 17 divisions through us, the BC. Here's your budget. Do what you will. WBC's out of it at that point. And then VADA tests whoever. Guys, the budget... It's a wonderful idea from the WBC, and it's a move in the right direction, but their budget is not enough to properly test guys the way they should be tested, okay? It's almost, it's a nice gesture, but it's, I want to say it's almost worthless because maybe 10% of the fighters enrolled in the program are tested a handful of times a year. The majority of them are not. There's just not enough money. So being enrolled in that program looks good. It doesn't necessarily mean you're being tested. In fact, the overwhelming majority of the time, these guys aren't being tested. Now, also, Nevada State Athletic Commission, they did do their own testing for Pacquiao Thurman, right? They did testing and they managed that testing. Now, Sometimes they will use one of the anti-doping authorities to collect samples and everything else. Um, but they haven't given any details. I, ta- I talked to Bob Bennett directly and I asked him for information. He would not give me specifics. He would not say what kind of tests were being done, whether it's urine or blood, uh, what testing panel. Is it in competition, out of competition testing panel? Is it uh, every prohibitive substance on WADA's lists? or just some of them, I don't know. I don't know the frequency of testing or anything. For my sources, and I've asked around, and I can't validate any of this. It's just me poking around with some people close to some of the fighters and the situation in at that whole card, not just Pacquiao Thurman. I've heard only urine testing, and I've heard only about two or three tests per fighter, or two or three samples taken per fighter, Okay. So it was a very limited testing pool, testing panel. It's nowhere near the level of testing. It's not the same thing as doing VADA, signing up and enrolling for full VADA testing, which means you're paying them, the fighter is paying for it, or their manager, their promotion, the promoter is paying for it, and they are conducting a bunch of testing, checking for everything in the in-competition uh, prohibited substances list that is handed out by WADA. VADA tests for that, whether you're in competition or out of competition, whether you're in training or not, whether you have a fight scheduled or not. If you sign up with them, they start testing you and they start testing you from the day you sign the papers. And when Canelo Alvarez signed up for the rematch with Gennady Golovkin and he signed up to do VADA, as soon as the VADA officials saw the, the forms were signed and everything, they quickly collected two samples from him almost instantly, right? And those were the samples that ultimately tested positive for clenbuterol. So that separates VADA from USADA and other groups. They start testing immediately. They're not like, okay, thanks for signing your paperwork, Fighter X. We'll be back soon to do a test. No, they're like, okay, we're here. Might as well go, might as well go ahead and take a sample. So... The testing for Pacquiao Thurman was nowhere near the same stratosphere as the testing we had for Joshua Miller, which became Joshua Ruiz, or for uh, Herd Williams, or some of these other fights where they've done full VADA throughout camp, okay? Nowhere near that. So there's a lot of misinformation, and some of the people related to the promotion are, I feel, purposely trying to mislead people. 
by making it sound like what happened testing wise is the same thing what happened for Pacquiao Thurman is the same thing the same level of testing that we got for AJ's fight with Andy Ruiz or uh, J-Rock Williams fight with Jarrett Hurd in other fights we've had in recent time right not the same not the same now I say all that and I follow with this nowhere at all in the midst of all this is there any evidence or proof even circumstantial evidence that Keith Thurman or Manny Pacquiao did anything inappropriate all I've ever stated is that there wasn't an advanced testing program for this fight and that is a bad look Chetcook93 is asking did Mayweather use VADA no and if, I'll say this again. I've, I've told this story a billion times. Manny Pacquiao had been doing VADA testing before his fight with Mayweather. I think he started in 2013 with Brandon Rios, somewhere around there, doing full, real, Olympic-style VADA testing, at least through fight camp for several fights. He wanted that with Mayweather. Mayweather refused. He said, USADA or no fight. So what would have cost around $10,000 through VADA, Mayweather paid over $100,000 for USADA and got the TUE. So guys, read into that whatever you will. Again, none of that's smoking gun or evidence of any wrongdoing. It's a bad look. And I say the same thing here with Pacquiao and Thurman. Them not, they made millions of dollars. Manny made eight figures for this fight, over $20 million. To not do VADA testing throughout camp, bad look. Nothing more. It's not evidence of any wrongdoing. It doesn't mean any guy, either guy did anything wrong. And by the way, this, the blame shouldn't all go on Manny Pacquiao. It should go on Keith Thurman as well. Both fighters agreed to this. Substandard testing. And it's also a bad look for the Nevada State Athletic Commission. And I'm going to call Bob Bennett out here. We have a touchy relationship. But it's a bad look that you don't give guys like me all the information. And I, I realized that he's bound to the contract with the promoter. And it's a bad look on the PBC and the promotion as a whole for not allowing the Nevada State Athletic Commission and whatever anti-doping authorities may have been involved with this to talk about it and to be transparent with the media and with the fans. It's a bad look all around it doesn't mean it doesn't mean for certain anyone did anything bad but it's a bad look and it sucks because Manny Pacquiao put in an outstanding performance and it was a great fight Keith Thurman put in an outstanding performance right and there's a little stain on the fight I want to just be happy because it was such a great fight look when Vladimir Klitschko and Anthony Joshua fought. It was the best heavyweight championship fight at that level, at the highest level since, I believe, since, um, since Bowen Holyfield. It really, really was. And what made it even better is it was crystal clean, no stains, because they were doing full VADA testing throughout. So it's the same thing with Julian J. Rock Williams and Jarrett Hurd. I think their fight so far right now, in my opinion, is the fight of the year. Maybe another fight will outdo it. But right now, it'd be my choice for fight of the year. And what makes it better is that they did Vada. Because there's no... You don't wonder, oh man, how'd J-Rock take those punches from Herb? You don't wonder. You know he was clean. He was testing with the best agency we have in fight sports. That's all I'm saying, guys. And I'm just trying to be consistent. Because I can't talk about it for one fight 
and not talk about it for another fight. I can't criticize one fighter or one promotion and let another one off the hook. I don't play favorites. I don't do this biased crap. I call it like it is all the time, right? And I keep it even keel, as objective as I can. So that's what this is about, all right? Now, let's get into the review. As some of you guys are talking about the choppy audio again, Jack, I see your comment. Refresh your web browser because from my end, we're pretty good. Something's wrong with my internet, okay? If it's really driving you nuts, listen into the podcast later on iTunes, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Spotify, everywhere else. That will be crystal clear and it'll be all right, okay? Um, <clears throat> okay, review time. Last Thursday, July 18th, Indio, California, Golden Boy Promotions on ringtv.com. I told you guys it was shit or get off the pot time for Jason Quigley. Well, he kind of shit. Toriano Johnson scores a ninth round retirement win over Quigley, who suffers his first loss as a pro. He's now 16-1. And look, I like Jason Quigley. Uh, I've kind of watched him all along. I was there for his pro debut, and I've seen his entire career play out. Uh, from those LA Fight Club cards that they were doing at the Belasco Theater in downtown Los Angeles all the way up till now. And I just never saw any progression. I just don't, I never at any point saw a future titleist there. He's going to make for fun fights because he has a come forward kind of style, but he just hasn't improved. And it's not for a lack of effort. And it's not for a lack of being around the wrong people. He's in good gyms. He's around good trainers and other good fighters. It just isn't there. It just isn't there. For Toriano Johnson, whose career kind of got off track with his uh, first loss a couple years back, this is a good bounce back win for him. And he's getting back in the scene now at middleweight. Friday, July 19th, MGM Harbor, MGM National Harbor in Maryland, Oxon Hill, Maryland to be exact, top rank on ESPN. And look, I talked about this a little bit in the news and notes. Uh, let's just go over this fight Subriel Matias out of Puerto Rico improves the 14-0 with the retirement 11 win over Maxim Dadashev. Suffers his first loss as a pro, uh, falls to 13-1. This was an IBF 140-pound eliminator. The winner against Josh Taylor, or actually I should say the winner in the unification match, World Boxing Super Series Season 2 finale between Josh Taylor and Regis Progre. So um, that obviously is Matias, and I think that he would, he's going to make for an exciting fight. Do I think he beats Taylor or Progre? No, I don't think so. I talked about Dadashev's health condition earlier in the show in news and notes. Uh, I don't want to just you know keep harping over that. It is a very, very sad situation. And I just hope that he can have the recovery, the type of recovery that Adana Stevenson had. You know, um, we'll find out. He's a young guy, much younger than Stevenson. And maybe that'll play a factor in all of this. For Matthias... He looks so much bigger than Dadashev. He's big for that division. It is a loaded division, and he is a welcome addition to the top fighters in that, in that division. Do I think he's elite? No, I'm not going to put him there, but he's certainly in the top 10, and he's a player, a big-time player, and he's going to eventually get a crack at what will be the unified championship. Probably not going to, well, definitely won't be till next year, so he needs to stay busy and have another fight or so in between that. But it's going to be some exciting stuff. Also, it does mean this. When Taylor and Progray fight, the winner of that fight, whether if they don't fight Matthias right away, IBF is probably going to strip him. So um, 
probably not going to see a unified title very long unless they want to go right into that fight with Matias. In the main event, Teofimo Lopez Jr. improves to 14-0 with a unanimous decision win over Japan's Masayoshi Nakatani. This was an IBF eliminator as well. And now Teofimo Lopez is lined up to fight Richard Komei next, probably later this year, maybe November, somewhere in that time frame. Scores were 119-109 and 118-110 twice. Way too wide. Way too wide. Nakatani won at least three rounds, maybe four rounds. However, it was a decisive, clear victory for Lopez. I didn't see controversy as far as, oh, this could have been a draw or maybe Nakatani won, like some people were suggesting on Twitter. Guys, that's not what took place in this fight. I think a lot of you look at an underdog situation when an underdog performs so well, so well, or better than expected, I shouldn't say so well, better than a lot of people expected, and is competitive, it makes some people grade on a curve and score on a curve. You can't do that. If you look at who did the more consistent, better work throughout the overwhelming majority of the rounds, I say eight or nine of rounds, it was Lopez. So yes, the 119-109 scorecard was a little too wide for me. I don't like that. Even the 118-110, a little too wide. But the right man won, and I think it was a decisive win. Now, for Lopez, his first time past seven rounds. Didn't look great. Looked very flawed. But you know what? This was his 14th pro fight. 14th pro fight. And he was fighting a huge guy, as some of you were talking about, that uh, you know Nakatani was a big guy, six feet tall in that lightweight division. That's massive, right? So a tall, awkward guy, you really haven't seen him fight because he's been over in Japan fighting Japanese guys. There's not a lot of footage of him here for you to see, so you don't really know what you're going to get. I think clearly Lopez took him lightly. But this disappointing, underwhelming performance, and Lopez himself said it was terrible. He said it was a horrible performance. I wouldn't go that far. But this underwhelming performance is probably the best thing that could have happened to him. He got in 12 good rounds of work, had never been past the seventh round. Could you imagine if he blew this guy out in two rounds and then went into a fight with Richard Comey? He would not be ready. These 12 rounds may have been enough to get him ready to get him over the hump against Richard Comey. Now, styles make fights. Comey comes straight in. We don't know how good his chin is against a hard puncher. Nakatani's got a hell of a chin. He took some Big shots from Lopez and ate him well. He rolled with the punches very well. Richard Comey doesn't roll with punches, doesn't have a lot of head movement. As I said, he kind of dives straight in. The difference between Comey and Nakatani is Comey can punch, and he's fast with his hands. Nakatani's slow, plotting, telegraphs everything, doesn't punch very hard. So I originally liked Lopez probably to stop Comey. But I'm starting to wonder. That right now for me, man, that's a 50-50 fight right now. Maybe 55-45 Lopez right now. But it is way more competitive than I originally thought. And I think a lot of you probably feel the same way as I do. So these 12 rounds were great for Lopez. Great for him. And if he ends up beating Komei and looking really good in that fight, he can probably thank Masayoshi Nakatani because he will have helped him prepare for such a big test. 
This is the way prospects should be built. And Teofimo Lopez, he's, he's, yeah, kind of a contender. I guess he's a contender now. But dude, 14 fights, that's it. Guys, we have to stop jumping the gun so fast that some of these guys are getting overly excited. A prospect is a prospect until they prove otherwise. Saturday, July 20th, London on DAZN in Skybox office over there in the UK. Dillian White survives a knockdown in the ninth round to decision Oscar Rivas, who had came in undefeated. The Colombian-Canadian was 26-0 coming in. This was a WBC heavyweight eliminator, which is hilarious because White has been really deserving of a fight with Deontay Wilder for 412 years. So uh, I find it hilarious that the WBC uh, had this as an eliminator fight. Anyway, 116-111 and 115-12 twice were the two scores. Uh, To me, Rivas had some real moments in this fight, but it was too much one punch at a time is there's a little Bryant Jennings in him where he landed punches and he wobbled White a couple times. I don't know if he really badly hurt him. I know he dropped him, but I don't think there was a point where White was in serious trouble in this fight. But White was definitely rocked more than a few times, not just on the knockdown. But Rivas never followed up, man. Even with that knockdown, I think it was the ninth round where White was caught on the ropes with a beautiful uppercut, beautiful uppercut from Rivas. And there was, I believe, over two minutes left in that round. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. I believe it was early in the round. And he just couldn't follow up. So it it was, to me, a disappointing kind of performance from Rivas because he had some chances. And I, I just got the sense that he never emptied the gas tank. He never really went balls out. He didn't go for it all the way. He kind of let White off the hook a couple times. And look, man, when you get an opportunity like that, you have to pounce on it. It's better to shoot your wad trying and lose that way than to not try 100%. Azier says that Rivas has poor stamina. Yeah, you could probably make that argument. He's got a lot of muscle on that frame. And muscle, not good for boxing long fights. Not good for uh, grueling type of affairs because that muscle wears your ass out. And uh, maybe just a little too much muscle on them. Also on this card, knockout of the year. Look, when Deontay Wilder destroyed Dominic Brazil, that's probably still going to end up being knockout of the year. But when Derek Chisora, that second round knockout of Arthur Spilka, I don't know, man. That looked more brutal. Because I'll tell you what, it wasn't a one-punch knockout like Wilder's shot against Brazil. But holy shit, it was a massive shot that... You look at Spilka, and he just collapsed. He fell f- straight down like, God, I just had a horrible thought, like the Twin Towers in New York. I know I shouldn't say that, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I'm just saying the way buildings fall straight down, that's the way Spilka fell after that right hand. Um, and I agree. Azier says Spilka should retire. I, I completely agree. He's, he's done. He's been brutally knocked out like that too many times now. But for me... Brazil badly hurt against Wilder, but he got up. He didn't beat the count, but he at least got up and he was okay. Spilka was out like a light, right? So for me, like a controlled demolition, Ken Henning, perfect, perfect way to put it. Like a controlled demolition. (laughs) That's what it looked like. I get what you're doing there. Hilarious, but still, that's what it looked like. 
Spielka needs to retire. And for me, Chisora, that win, he's the best gatekeeper in maybe in all of boxing right now. Definitely the best gatekeeper in the heavyweight division. And um, that, to me, is the knockout of the year. That's the one I'm going to vote for. I know Wilder Brazil is what's going to win, but damn, that was a brutal knockout. Anyway, okay, so I tweeted about this. The ref in that fight was Mark Lyson, and I felt that he was out of position. He wasn't up close on the fighters when Spilka was on the ropes, and there was, I think, a big overhand right that originally stunned him, and he kind of backed into the ropes. Um, Ocien says Dortico's Tabidi is their favorite for knockout of the year. You know what? That's, that's certainly up there, man. We, we've, had, we've had a couple of good ones. We really have. But it, um, Mark Lyson, just a little bit out of position, and because he was so far back and out of position, he really was a, a punch or two too late. That last right hand that just brutally destroyed Spilka probably didn't need to have to land. I think Lyson could have did a better job jumping in there a little bit before that last right hand. I don't know if Spilka needed to take that punch. I think the ref should have been in a better position. Also on this card, David Price scores a really dominant Victory. He pretty much shut out David Allen over 10 rounds, and Allen retires on a stool. Um, yeah, man, this fight wasn't close. He, he pretty much owned David Allen, who said uh, he, he, I think, had health problems after this fight. Everything got checked out, though. No brain bleed, nothing like that. Everything is okay. But he definitely was pretty busted up after this fight and did not respond well to really the one-sided drubbing he took and he's talking about possibly retiring. I think that might be a good idea. Also on this card, Lawrence Ocoli improved to 13-0 with a TKO7 win over a last-minute opponent from Argentina. So, um, yeah, I'm surprised that opponent went seven rounds with Ocoli. Okay, guys, let's get to Las Vegas. PBC on Fox Sports pay-per-view. But before the pay-per-view, there were fights on regular Fox. And in the opener, F.A. Ajagba. Approved to 11-0 with a unanimous decision win over Ali Aren Demirizin. The German Turk, who is an Olympian in the 2016 games, came in 11-0 himself and suffered his first loss. Um, look, for Ajagba, his first time past five rounds goes the distance in this fight. I remember last week I made a video saying Daniel Dubois is my favorite heavyweight prospect and I gave a bunch of reasons why. And there were several of you in the comments section that said Dubois ain't the best heavyweight prospect. It's a Jagba. Where are you guys now? Are you going to eat your crow? Because I'm about to eat some crow myself. You got to own it. Because I think in this fight, you clearly saw that if F.A. Ajagba fought Daniel Dubois, probably would get knocked out. He's not on that level yet. Okay. Hergovich, yeah, a couple of you guys are saying Hergovich is the best prospect. Maybe. However, Hergovich, like Ajagba, has not fought a quality level of opponent, at least not at the level of Nathan Gorman just quite yet. I think Daniel Dubois is the best win right now out of the heavyweight prospects. And he actually has a couple of them. Some of the faded contenders that he's fought and beat uh, are, are pretty decent uh, tests for him at this stage. You got to remember, Dubois had virtually no amateur career. And I realize that Jogba didn't either. But guys, let's say uh, Demirazin, let's say he is at the level of Nathan Gorman, around there. I'm not saying he's way better than Gorman or Gorman's way better than him. They're around the same level. They're kind of chubby, 
shorter heavyweights that don't have a lot of power, right? To have some skills, though. Look what Dubois did against his guy. Look what Ajagba did against his guy. Harrison Property with the Super Chat Pledge. He says, keep up the great work, Mike. Thank you so much, Harrison Property. I appreciate it, man. Uh, thank you very, very much. I can't tell you guys how much it means to me uh, when, you, when you donate just, just to say good job. That means, it means a lot to me because it means that I'm, I am doing something of value. And um, I hope that you guys value what I'm doing, even though my live stream is choppy as hell because AT&T internet sucks. <laughs> also on this Fox card, before Fox pay-per-view, Caleb Plant scores a TKO3 win over Mike Lee. Uh, knocked him down a few times. Is there any surprise there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not really. So Caleb Plant, who's a real fighter, and uh, Mike Lee is basically a guy like me, a guy who likes to play fighter on the weekend, uh, got in there with a real fighter, and you saw what happened. I probably wouldn't last three rounds my damn self. So uh, pro- I probably wouldn't last three seconds. <laughs> oh, we have another super chat from Komat Suda. And he asked, thank you very much first. Check it in. For, are you checking in from New Zealand? I see an NZ there. New Zealand. Damn. Love that. He asked, who hits harder, Sam Peter or Wilder, and who wins? Deontay Wilder hits way harder than Sam Peter. Um, at, are you talking about at this stage, or are you talking about prime for prime? Prime for prime, that's an interesting conversation. In, in terms of jab and right hand, Wilder way more devastating than Peter. But Peter's left hook... Uppercut, left hook, 45, probably more devastating than Wilder's. Prime for prime, if they fight, I think Wilder would just stick behind the jab and basically do what Vladimir Klitschko did to him. Uh, Not with the same skill, but with the same length and athleticism. And then he'd drop that right hand bomb and that'd be enough, right? So I I would favor Wilder to basically do what he did against Berman Stavern the first time around to Sam Peter. That's how I think that fight would wind up. Maybe Wilder gets put on his butt once in the process, but he ends up winning the fight. Okay, so let's go to the pay-per-view. Sergey Lipinets coming off his fight of the year candidate. I forgot about that one against uh, Lamont. No, I was going to say Lamont Brewster. Lamont Peterson. Um, hmm. That might be fight of the year. I don't know, man. It's up there. It's right up there with Hurd Williams. I might edge Hurd Williams. Anyway, Lipinets coming in off that. He's having a really good 2019. He had a rough couple of years there. 2017, 2018, kind of touch and go. But uh, man, really good 2019. Comes off that fight of the year candidate against Peterson. Retires him. Scores a TKO2 win here. And he was supposed to fight John Molina. But there was a last second replacement. Did what he was supposed to do. Got a lot of exposure. Stayed busy. He should be in a big fight down the road later this year. Lewis Neri improves to 30-0 with a KO9 win over Juan Carlos Payano, who has now lost two of his last three fights. However, they were against the best two Bantamweights in the world, Nayoya Inoue and Lewis Neri. So no harm, no foul in that. Now, I said last week in my preview that Neri was not going to blast Payano out of there in a round like Inoue did, and he didn't. L.R. Chiga says, Neri looks sloppy. Yeah. Um, he didn't make weight at first. I think the, the first attempt, right? A little over. But um, look, he gets the W here. He gets the stoppage. And you see why guys like me 
and many others, most others, right in a way above Neri. You could put Neri right there at number two, but he's not at the level, at least not yet, uh, at that Naoya Inoue is at. In the co-main, really a shitty co-main. On paper, this looked like it might be interesting. It turned out to be a dud and just a really lackluster lead-in to the main event. Jordanus Ugas scores a unanimous decision win over Omar Figueroa Jr., this was a WBC welterweight eliminator. The scorecards were 119, 107, three times, and those were good scores. If you had it, uh, 120, or uh, yeah, because I think there were points taken. 119, 107, three times, yeah, good, good uh, scores. This was a completely one-sided fight, and honestly, it could have been stopped at one point. Figueroa needs to retire. He just, just doesn't have what it takes at the upper echelon. He was interesting as a lightweight, but as a welterweight, and he fights at welterweight because he's a, an alcoholic and he can't get less than 147. He's actually missed weight at 147 before. All right, so main event. Let's get into this. Manny Pacquiao. Let's talk about Manny Pacquiao's career, okay? 62-7-2 now. Went pro in 1995. 1995. It is currently 2019. So let's do a little math here. Guys, that is 24 years. 24 years. There are people born the year Manny Pacquiao became a professional fighter that have graduated from college and have been in the workforce for two years. Think about that shit for a second. Mind blown. And at this age, at this level, still beating quality fighters. Say what you will about Keith Thurman. I still think he's a top five welterweight. I think he proved that against Manny Pacquiao Saturday. And let's give, let's give Thurman some credit. Thurman gets dropped in the first round. What does he do? Does he run like a bitch? Does he get timid? No. It takes him a couple rounds to figure out what the hell he had in front of him because he had never seen anything like Manny Pacquiao. But he figured it out, and guess what? He owned the middle rounds. I thought Thurman made the fight close. And after about nine rounds, I was thinking, well, damn, man, this is like a 5-4 fight in terms of rounds going into the 10th. And then what happened in the 10th? Manny hurt Thurman to the body to the point where Thurman couldn't breathe, had to take out his mouthpiece to suck in some air and get a breather. And that changed the fight once again. And Pacquiao won the last few rounds. And that was enough for him to clearly win this fight. It was close. It was competitive, but it was decisive. Manny Pacquiao, better man, won this fight clearly. I thought you could go 116-111. 115-112 is cool. You could, I don't know, maybe make an argument for 9-3, but that's a bit too wide in my opinion. I think 8-4, right in that wheelhouse, that's right in the sweet spot. Hamed said 9-3 or 8-4. Yeah, Hamed, I'm with you, man. I ain't mad at you at all for that. John Gary says he had a 115-113 Manny. That's a little too close for me, brother. LR Chiga had a 116-111. That is right. Robert Palmer had it even. You're smoking crack, Robert. That's a terrible score, brother. I love you, but that's a terrible score. There's no way Keith Thurman won six rounds of that fight. Go back and watch it again. Azier had it 8-4. That's how I had it. Uh, so the official scores, Gail Falkenthal, who knows her shit, had it 115-112. Yes, you were right on, Gail. So most of you guys seem to all have it kind of in that range. Anywhere from 7 to 5 Manny all the way up to 9-3 Manny. That's exactly what most people saw. 
And it's interesting, right? Because if you look at punch numbers, and again, you can't score fights with punch numbers, but it does get interesting. I got CompuBox, a graphic here pulled up. Technically, Keith Thurman landed more punches in this fight. Thurman landed 210 punches, Pacquiao only 195. He was more accurate because he threw less punches. Pacquiao threw 686, Thurman only 571. So he throws less, lands more. 36% accuracy, Pacquiao 28% accuracy. But here's where we start digging into these numbers, guys. You can't just look at those totals and go, oh, shit. Well, there, it looks like an even fight if you count the knockdown. No, no, not exactly. Power punches. Thurman had the edge. He actually threw more power punches than Manny. He threw less, or I'm sorry, yeah, less overall punches, but he throws 100 more. He threw 100 more power punches than Manny did. He landed about 80 more. Okay, and with better accuracy. So he was counterpunching clearly and landing good power shots. But whose power shots did more damage? Look at Manny's face. Look at Keith's face. Who got hurt in the fight? Keith got dropped in the first round and he got badly hurt in the 10th round. By the way, Thurman proved he's a bad mofo because a lot of dudes would have been dropped from that body punch. For him to survive that and then survive the last two rounds and have moments in those last two rounds, Thurman is a certifiable badass and proved he is a legit fighter with all that. But I want to get back to these punch numbers. Let's look at jabs. And too many of you guys underrate the importance of jabs. Jabbing is how you win boxing matches. Power punching is important. Obviously, this is the hurt business, but jabbing matters. I feel like I should start a hashtag. Jabs matter. Look, Pacquiao throws 346 jabs to Thurman's 128. What does that tell you? That tells you one guy's coming forward, one guy's filling the gaps in between the offensive burst, the other guy's moving backward or trying to counterpunch. And that's great if you're being effective with your counterpunching. But although Thurman landed counterpunches, he didn't hurt his opponent. Pacquiao hurt him. So Pacquiao's the guy coming forward, lands less power punches, but his have more impact. And in between offensive bursts, he's filling the gaps by jabbing. He lands 82 jabs to Thurman's 18. He was also more accurate with the jab, lands 23% of the jabs to Thurman's 14%. So Thurman had no jab, no jab, no boxing, right? Thurman was basically brawling in there in a lot of spots. And Pacquiao was boxing. Thurman was moving straight forward and backward, mostly backward, trying to land counters. And he did. And he did jump forward sometimes and land counters. But in between those spots, Pacquiao was moving side to side, landing the jab, landing harder, more impactful power punches that hurt his bigger, younger, taller, longer opponent and was spinning them all night. Beautiful stuff from Manny Pacquiao. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. And that's how you read the business behind the business of punch stats. You can't just look at the total number of punches landed and say, oh man, look at that. It looks like Thurman won the fight. No, man, read into that. And guys, I could go into the round by round stats or whatever. I could do an hour long video on that. But I just want to give you a little bit behind those numbers and explain what's really going on right there. In fact, CompuBox made a note at the bottom of this graphic Pacquiao was the busier fighter 
Uh, 57 punches thrown per round compared to Thurman's 48 punches thrown per round. So again, who's doing more work? Now, look, ineffective aggression, we don't score that, but we do score effective aggression. And clearly, Pacquiao's aggression was effective in this fight because, again, he's the guy who hurt his opponent, right? So this is a special win for Pacquiao. I talked about the stain on this thing earlier. There's no need to beat that dead horse, okay? Let's just talk about the good parts here. I think for Thurman, he proves that he belongs. 12 rounds with Pacquiao. That is better than any 12 rounds Terrence Crawford has had, Sean Porter's had, or Errol Spence has had, Danny Garcia's had, any of these other top welterweights. Even though he lost, the 12 rounds he went with Pacquiao taught him more than any of those other fighters, any other opponents have taught them. So if Thurman decides he wants to get busy and get serious with this again and start fighting twice a year at least again, he probably won't fight for the rest of this year. He took you know, a lot of punches in this fight. But when he comes back next year, he gets back to two a year, maybe three a year. I'm telling you guys, at some point, if he really wants to stick with this, several years from now, and he fights one of those other guys I just mentioned, he's already fought a couple of them. These 12 rounds with Pacquiao will pay off in that fight. That's how this works. So it was a good thing for Thurman in a loss. Of course, you don't want to lose. You never want to lose. But there's silver lining there for him. I think he proved his toughness. He proved his mettle. He proved his fighter's warrior spirit. And I think he learned a lot. There's a lot he can go back here and watch and learn from. It's up to him if he wants to learn from it and get better and improve. I do believe he has the ability. Does he want it? A lot was made. So I guess uh, Adrian Broner said that uh, Thurman was out gambling the week of the fight. Apparently he was out gambling after the fight with Pacquiao, later that night, gambling. Um, and then, you know, before the fight, he was making out with his wife in the dressing room while Manny was warming up and hitting mitts with Freddie Roach. Thurman's making out with his wife and, and texting on Instagrams and, and uh, eating ice cream. And a lot of people don't like the way Keith Thurman acts for the cameras. He doesn't behave like a fighter. He acts weird. He plays the flute you know, or whatever the hell it is. Uh, he has hair like a hippie. He looks like a stoner rock band player, bass player or something from like Skid Row or something. You know, like that's how he looks. But guess what? He gets in the ring. He acts like a fighter. The 12 rounds inside the ring with Pacquiao. I saw a fighter. I saw a guy behaving like a fighter. I didn't see a dude playing the flute, making out with his wife, eating ice cream. I saw a fighter. Now, we can ask the question, the way he acts outside of the ring, is there a lack of preparation and intensity there that maybe limits him as a fighter? I don't know. Only he can answer that. But what I saw in the ring Saturday night was a dude acting like a fighter who is determined, who is hungry, and who kept trying to win despite being hurt multiple times, uh, cut lip, busted nose, bleeding, bloody all over his face. That's what I saw. So he may not act like these other guys. He may look weird or something different. But when he gets in the ring, man, I see a fighter. So I actually think that Doug Fisher made this point in his mailbag on Ring TV today that uh, 
I'm, I'm more impressed with Thurman in his loss to Pacquiao than any of his wins. That's how I feel, and that's how Doug feels too. And it's probably how a lot of you out there feel. Oh, we got a super chat from Chris S., who says, keep up the great work, dude. Thank you very much, Chris S. Thank you very, very much. You guys are awesome, man. I'm feeling the love today, guys, and I appreciate it. I really, really do. And speaking of love, how can you not love Manny Pacquiao? I'm just looking here at his resume, guys. Goes pro in 1995, fights strictly in the Philippines, right? Barely a minimum weight when he starts. Takes his first loss at 112 pounds, where he stopped in three rounds. A lot of people at that point would be like, ah, just another guy from the Philippines. There's nothing to this dude. Look where he is now. I'm just looking at his resume, and I want to ask you guys, where does this win over Keith Thurman rank? Forget the drug testing thing and all that. Just flat out, where does this rank against his other wins? Because when you look at the wins this guy has, it's pretty amazing. Ledwaba, right? That goes back to 2001. Ledwaba was in 2001. The first Barrera win was in 2003. He had that epic series with Marquez. He had a great series with Morales, beat him twice, basically sent him into retirement, beat Barrera twice. And I rate Barrera personally higher than Eric Morales and Juan Wenmo Marquez. I think Barrera is the, the better of those three fighters all time, pound for pound. Uh, retires Oscar De La Hoya, really flattens Ricky Hatton. And instead of bringing him up in weight or anything, he fought Hatton in his true weight class. Beats Miguel Cotto. Good quality window for Joshua Clotty, right? Uh, Antonio Margarito, that's an impressive win when you, can, when you look at the size difference. Shane Mosley, now I'm not saying this is a prime Shane Mosley, but it's a better version of Shane Mosley than Floyd Mayweather beat. The loss to Bradley, I think, was bullshit. I think we all feel he beat him. We feel that he beat Jeff Horn, but he ended up beating Bradley officially on the cards a couple times. The loss to Mayweather was legit. I felt Floyd clearly won that fight, about eight rounds to four. But um, now, this win over Thurman. And it shouldn't have been a split decision. I've talked about Glenn Feldman's scorecard. It was atrocious. He scored seven rounds for Keith Thurman. Glenn Feldman should know better, and he should be ashamed. And I, I got to say this. I want this on record out there, okay? I made a tweet saying, the judge that scored it for Thurman is an idiot. It should never score a fight again. I regret using that language. I shouldn't have said idiot. I should have said it was an idiotic score. Dan Raphael from ESPN gave me some shit and defended his friend Glenn Feldman because they're buddies. I didn't mean to personally bash Glenn Feldman as a human being, but that was a shitty score. And a veteran judge like him, who actually is a really good judge most of the time, he does a good job, shouldn't have been that wrong. You shouldn't be that wrong, dude. You should know how to properly score a fight. And Dan Raphael has had some horrible scorecards himself scoring fights for ESPN uh, in recent times. And, I, you know, I, I pushed back with Dan a little bit in a respectful way. But I said, look, man, we have to start holding these judges accountable when they get a shitty scorecard. Right? And same with writers. Like, Mike Coppinger had a really bad scorecard in a fight recently. I can't remember what fight it was. But I give Coppinger credit because he owned it. Coppinger said, uh, basically said, look, yeah, I screwed this one up, guys. This was a bad score. He owned it. 
And Raphael's never done that, right? I'm owning it that I picked Keith Thurman. I thought Thurman was going to win. I told you guys Thurman was going to win. I went on SB Nation Radio, which is in hundreds of markets around the country, Saturday night and did a preview at 9.40 Eastern Time telling Dave Smith Keith Thurman was going to win. And guess what happened? Pacquiao beat his ass and he won. So I look like an idiot because I got it wrong, but I'm owning it. Anyway, I regret saying Glad Feldman's an idiot. He's not an idiot. He had a really bad score. And you, we have to talk about when judges, when prominent judges and prominent writers and even prominent uh, TV analysts have really shitty scores for fights. We have to hold their feet to the fire and hold them accountable and not be afraid to criticize them. We criticize the fighters. We criticize the promoters. We criticize the networks. We should criticize the judges. We should criticize guys like me. So bring it on, guys. When I screw it up, tell me. Tell me I screwed up. I'll own it, okay? I think I've always tried to own it when I screw something up. Anyway, Pacquiao's wins. The Thurman win, is it top five? I don't know. It's definitely top 10. But I asked this question on Twitter today, and I'm going to look at my poll right now because I want to see what you guys, this is live here. I'm going on my Twitter. And I asked you guys, you know what? Who between Floyd and Manny will rate higher pound for pound years from now when they're retired? Who's going to rate higher? Right now, you got to rate Floyd higher because he beat, he beat Manny, right? Can you guys hear me? You guys, okay, you guys are saying I was offline for a minute there. Jesus, man. When this AT&T dude comes to the house, I'm going to show him this video as evidence of how crappy the internet is. This is, like, not cool, man. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry, guys. Please bear with me. I promise it won't be like this forever. So, um, all right, I'm going to sit here and wait a couple more seconds to see. You guys are... Most of you are saying I'm back online. And I apologize to you guys listening on the podcast later. Um, <laughs> it's uh, not good. Okay, I can't find my damn poll. Where the hell is it? Bear with me one second here, guys. I'm trying to find my poll. And of course, I can't find it right now. That's always good. Jesus. Am I back online? Can you guys see me? I hope so. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Where is it at? All right. So as of right now, 685 votes. 37% of you say Floyd rates higher than Manny Pacquiao all time when it's all said and done. Okay. 47% of you say Manny rates higher than Floyd all time pound for pound when it's all said and done. 16% of you say they rate about the same. So I'll continue to monitor this poll. But I think it says a lot because clearly Floyd beat Manny when they fought. Again, and I've taken heat from some of the Pacquiao crazies over that because they swear Pacquiao was robbed. Floyd clearly beat Manny. It was like eight rounds to four, nine rounds to three. However, all time, when you look at their resumes, you look at the moments they gave, you look at the longevity in the career of what what Manny Pacquiao's done, over eight weight classes, 
I think you can make a legitimate argument that 20 years from now, people are going to rate Manny Pacquiao higher pound for pound. I'm not talking as a welterweight. Floyd rates higher as a welterweight. Although you can make an argument, Manny has better wins at welterweight than Floyd does. You really could. But all time, pound for pound, I think that you could definitely make an argument one day. People are going to rate Manny higher. So that's interesting, man. That's interesting. What's next for Manny? Probably the winner between Spence and Porter. And now because of his performance against Thurman, people out there are going to feel that he could be competitive. I think that he might beat Porter, but he'd take a lot of punishment, probably headbutts and cuts in that fight. I just don't think he could beat Spence. I think Spence just has too much for him at this stage, and I don't like that fight for him. But also, I just talked about Floyd. Guys, it could be a rematch between Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao. If they do that fight again, it instantly becomes the biggest fight you can make in the sport. Bigger than a rubber match between Canelo and Golovkin. Bigger than the eventual winners between uh, the the rematches between uh, Fury and Wilder and AJ and Ruiz. If those the winner of those two rematches fought each other, it's bigger than all those. It's the biggest fight in all of fight sports if they do it again. And with this win over Thurman... It's that much more marketable. It could happen. Oh, we got another super chat from Komat Suda. What does Kosei Tanaka have to do to be pound for pound? That is a good question. That is a very, very good question. Let's bring up his resume, shall we? I'm just going to type it in here on my laptop. If my internet would freaking move. Okay. So, all right, Ko. Just so you know, okay, those of us on the Ring Ratings Committee, we've been talking about Tanaka. We've been talking about him. And he's on the bubble, but he has 13 fights. 13 fights. Pretty much, yeah, he's fought at minimum weight, and he's fought now as high as flyweight. He held a title here. You got to look at who he's beat for his titles, okay? He briefly had the 105-pound title. He beat Vic Saludar. To get that title. Vic Saludar, who is a Filipino fighter, not very good. He's okay. So he beat a guy who's not very good to get that first title. Moves up to 108 pounds, wins a vacant title. Now that's where he beat Moises Fuentes, good fighter. Beat Angel Acosta, pretty good fighter. So I thought that he did some good stuff at 108. Now he's moved up to 112. He just beat Sho Kimura, pretty good fighter. Not pretty good fighter. And then he beat uh, Ryochi Taguchi. Pretty good fighter. But, dude, so far in his career, it's domestic. He hasn't traveled. He hasn't fought a lot of guys in the world scene. And um, he's just not quite there. I want to see him fight one of the top guys uh, from another part of the world. Maybe travel. um, Maybe unify a title. Something like that. He's on the bubble, though. He's right there, dude. He really is. He's already in the top 15. He'll be there in another year or so. He just needs a little more. It's only 13 fights in. It's very rare you see a guy like Guillermo Rigondeaux, Vasily Lomachenko, somebody like that, uh, jump into the pound-for-pound ratings before they have more than a dozen or so fights, uh, or with only about a dozen or so fights, because of the quality of opposition they're facing. I mean, you know... 
Loma went for a, a title in his second pro fight. He ended up winning a title in his third pro fight. That's, that's crazy. And look who he beat. When he beat Gary Russell, Gary Russell's probably the best featherweight right now. So for Loma to do that, that's special. Rigondi, I was doing very special things early on in his career. So uh, Tanaka, not quite there yet, dude, but he'll get there. I really, I, I like him. He's got a lot of talent. We, oh, I just saw Checkhook93 with the Super Chat Pledge. Thank you very, very much, Checkhook93. I appreciate that, guys. Um, okay, let's get into this fight preview, and then we'll do a few questions here. And uh, once again, I apologize for the YouTube situation, guys. Okay, this Friday, July 26th, there will be a Thompson boxing card from Ontario, California. Ruben Torres in the main event. That's one of their top prospects. Saturday, July 27th, we got a couple of televised cards here in the States. At the Royal Farms Arena in Baltimore, Maryland, PBC on Showtime. And this is a joint venture between TGB Promotions and Mayweather Promotions. In the main event, Gervonta Davis, 21-0, 20 knockouts, defending his WBA 130-pound title for the second time against Panama's Ricardo Nunez, who comes in with a record of 21-2. and two. This will be his, his first fight in the United States. So we kind of don't know what to expect from him. I expect a blowout knockout win from Javante Davis. Also on this card, I think this fight might steal the show. Yoriokas Gamboa going up against Roman Rocky Martinez in a 10-round lightweight fight that is Cuba versus Puerto Rico. That's going to be fun. That fight is going to steal the show on this card. Also, Jazz Rio Corrales going up against Ladarius Miller in a 10-round lightweight fight. And then from Arlington, Texas, on zone, Maurice Hooker putting his WBO 140-pound title on the line against Jose Ramirez, who puts his WBC version of the title on the line. For both of these guys, it will be the third defense of their title. They're unifying at 140. I love this freaking fight. Love it. Sean Yeager checking in says, longtime listener, first time live. Thank you very much for checking in, Sean. And apologies for the shitty YouTube stream. It's been choppy for days now. I don't know what's going on. But Hooker, 26-0. Ramirez, 24-0. Hooker, 5'11", 80-inch reach. Ramirez, 72-inch reach himself, 5'10". So Ramirez is a big, tall, long 140-pounder. Hooker's even taller, even longer. Ramirez, 2012 London Olympian. Uh, that, I can't wait for that fight. So who do I like? I like Hooker. I think that, that sounds... How does that sound? How is that not a meme? I like Hooker. Just add the S. That's all you got to do. <clears throat> Hooker is uh, just the better overall boxer. And I think some of the opponents he has faced have better prepared him for this level of fight versus Ramirez in his level of opposition. So as long as Hooker's been keeping things disciplined and focused, he comes into this fight 100%, I think he's going to beat Ramirez by decision and unify these titles. And at that point, you got to rate him number one in the division. Now, you still got Taylor and Progray that will fight. The winner of that fight is obviously the champion of the division. But... I like it a lot. Uh, DS Kennels 210 asks, Hooker versus Ramirez, fight of the year potential? Maybe. And I think that's more on Ramirez. Hooker's going to do what he likes to do. He's going to box. He's just going to use his length and box. Ramirez is going to have to get in his face and push the fight and make it rough. If he does that, perhaps we get a brawl here. Perhaps we get a little bit of a brawl. 
It's really on Ramirez and what he does in there. He needs to push that sort of action. Also on this card, Tevin Farmer going up against a French baguette maker. Guillaume Frenois. Julien Frenois. I don't know how to pronounce French, so I'm probably really butchering that name. If Captain Hook Chronicles is watching, you can tell me how to pronounce this better. Guillaume Frenois. Anyway, this is the fourth defense of Farmer's IBF Junior Lightweight title. And he has been on one of the weaker, shittier title runs of any world titleist in boxing right now. Time for him to step up to the plate. You got another gimme here. You're going to score probably, you should score a stoppage win here. The next fight should be a unification, Tevin. It really should. Start talking to your management. Also on this card, Daniar Yelosunov. 7-0 prospect, originally out of Kazakhstan, fighting in his first 10-rounder. Sunday, July 28th, another card from 360 Promotions from Hollywood, Los Angeles, California. Sergei Bohachuk, 14-0, junior middleweight in the main event. All right, guys, if you got some questions, shoot them at me real fast, and we'll wrap up this episode. Hamed92 says, Hooker lost to Perez. That was a robbery. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was on the first uh, Kovalev-Ward card. And, yeah, that was the robbery of the night until the main event. But um, he absolutely lost against Perez. However, he's really improved since that fight. He's not the same guy who lost that night. I think this version of Maurice Hooker beats uh, Perez. So um, at least he's improved. Yeah, get off me, son, says the same thing. The fight between Hooker and Perez was a straight-up robbery. I agree with you guys. I was there. I was there ringside, and um, yeah, it is what it is. John Gary Navita asked, Mike, should Manny retire? No. I mean, look, (laughs) in a perfect world, yeah, you go out on top like this, man. You just beat one of the top guys way younger than you. Yes, you walk away. But Manny ain't going to do that. He's going to stick around for probably a couple more years. And um, sadly, he's probably going to get crushed one, once or twice more before he retires. The dude loves to fight. And I got to say, I've been saying Manny's been phoning it in for years. And I really feel with some of those fights in recent years, we can point to several fights and we can see where it looks like he was uninspired. He was inspired for this fight. He had a renewed energy. He looked more lively, more explosive than he's looked in years. And I don't know what happened, but he's definitely got this renewed vigor and passion. And uh, if he keeps that up, he could probably keep going for a couple more years. DS Kendall's 210 asks, is the World Boxing Super Series in its final legs, Donaire threatening to walk away? The thing about Nonito Donaire, and it's really his wife, who is a really intelligent lady and does a lot of the management stuff there when it comes to money. His wife, especially, they look in that contract and they say, guys, you owe us this money at this date. Pay up. And remember, before the semis, there were several fighters saying, we didn't get paid, we didn't get whatever. Yeah, Rachel, that's, yeah, John, John Gary Navita just said it was Rachel is the manager. Yeah, Rachel Donaire, super smart lady, super sharp. She's awesome. And um, they looked in the, in the contract right after the, their first fight in the tournament and said, uh, look, you owe us XYZ, and they paid up. Donaire never complained about money after the first round of the tournament. 
So if he's complaining about something right now, uh, look, the tournament, they'll get the money secured. Everything should be okay. If Donaire walks out right now, that'd be a really bad look unless there's a really legitimate reason. And I don't think finances will be the reason. So we'll have to see. Um, look, several fighters have threatened to pull out. They didn't. So give it time, man. Harry Brock says, Bevel versus Alvarez at 178. I assume you mean Canelo Alvarez because um, there's several Alvarez's in and around that weight class. But Bevel versus Canelo right now. Oof. You know, I would maybe edge Canelo by decision and I'll tell you why. It'd probably be in Vegas and Canelo would go to the body enough and Bevel just doesn't have the experience to fight a guy like him. Canelo knows how to squeeze out rounds and do some veteran things. The same kind of stuff Manny was doing against Keith Thurman Saturday night. So I would pick Canelo by decision in that one. Rockstar1996 asks, Does Dillian White get his mandatory before May? Or does Wilder get franchised? I believe the WBC, if they haven't announced yet, they're going to announce soon. Deontay Wilder will, I'd say with very, very soon, be the WBC franchise heavyweight champion. Whatever the hell that means. When they first announced this franchise champion bullshit, uh, they said it's for fighters who bounce around in different weight classes like Canelo, right? He defies weight classes, right? Well, Wilder can't bounce around in weight. He's a fucking heavyweight. So can he be a franchise champ per the rules of the WBC's franchise champ bullshit? It's the WBC. So the way that they can keep Wilder safe because White would have a real chance against him, that left hook, Dillian White is the best left hook in the heavyweight division. The way they can keep him safe so they get that Fury rematch and keep Dillian White happy is to bump Deontay up to franchise champion and bump White up to interim champion and have him face the number one guy for the full title. Something like that. That's what I see happening. Sad but true. Let's see here. Uh, Hamed92 asks, Why do people use CompuBox and punch count videos as an argument to justify a fight? It's not boxing criteria, punch stats. Is it? Yeah, yeah, look, I agree. And you can, that's... Part of the thing about punch numbers, particularly on YouTube and social media, you can manipulate them to look any way you want. Hopefully you guys got something from my breakdown of the Pacquiao Thurman punch numbers and what really you're seeing there. Um, the, the CompuBox guys, the Kenobios, that's, that's their last name, it's father and son. And there's a few other people involved, but uh, Nicholas Kenobio runs CompuBox and I've spoken with him. Sharp guy, knows the sport and can sit down and talk with you about fighters like Ali and tell you their flaws and tell you how defensively overrated Muhammad Ali was. Really wasn't a very good defensive fighter in many, many instances. Um, and because of the data they have, they can show this. Uh, so anyway, knows his stuff. And they know what's behind the numbers and what it really means, what it really doesn't mean. You know, it's just an indicator to give you Part of the overall story of the fight, and there's many different parts to that story. But yes, of course, some people can use it to manipulate things. And don't be surprised if you don't see some videos coming out soon that make it look like Thurman dominated Pacquiao last Saturday night. You guys are saying White deserves his fight. Yes, he does. 
Hamad 92 says, Bevel versus Danny Jacobs would be interesting at 168. Sign me up for some of that, brother. That would be awesome. <laughs> that would be awesome. John, Gary, Navita ask, is franchise champ the same as the emeritus nonsense? Believe it or not, no. There's actually a, a slight difference. It's a stupid one, and I'm not even going to get into it. The WBC, just, just better off to not even get into it. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, Rockstar1996 says, it's worse. You can't lose the franchise championship. There you go. Uh, punch stats are inaccurate. Yeah, a few of you guys are saying that. Yeah, sometimes, but I will say this. When I talked, again, with Nicholas Canobio, uh, and that's somewhere on my channel, guys. You can look up that interview. I posted it on my channel. It's from a few years ago. They did a study. They looked at every CompuBox fight. They went back over it. And they had a panel of people do the punch numbers. And they compared it to what was originally recorded by CompuBox that night. And what they found is that consistently, CompuBox is within 90% or so accuracy. So there's a 10% margin of error maybe a little less than 10%. That can make a big difference sometimes. But guys, they're getting at least 90% right. So they're, they're close. They're close. It's not a perfect science. LR Chica says, Beevil outboxes Jacobs. I tend to agree. I think Beevil's too big. You gotta remember he's moving down from 75. As long as he would make that weight cut okay, I think he would outbox Jacobs. But I think it would be a fascinating fight, at least for the first half. And then I think Beevil would take over. All right, Rockstar1996 is bouncing out. He says it's late in the UK. Thank you for tuning in, my man. Hamed is asking any news on Golovkin's next fight. No, but if I had to bet, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, I bet Jaime Munguia, maybe it goes to Texas. Maybe it goes to New York. Who knows? Prime TV is asking, does Floyd Manny 2 happen? I think there's a strong chance for it. I really, really do. And it's, it's up to Manny and, and like all the people involved and what they want to do. The Porter Spence winner presents a big payday for him. You're talking $30 million or something like that against one of those guys. But a rematch with Floyd, dude, you're, you're more than doubling that amount. So, um, Hamed, Hamed92, you're asking about CompuBox and how they determine if someone lands a punch. Dude, look up my interview. Just, I guess, type in the search engine on uh, YouTube, Michael Montero or Montero Unboxing, Nicholas Canobio, CompuBox, something like that. My interview with him would pop up and we go over that. I spent a long time talking with him. Um, Not all of it was in the video. I, you know, some of it was off the record, but uh, a lot of it, you know, I I videotaped and uh, it's on there. So check that out. Um, All right, guys, I think that's it. Sean Yeager, this will be the last one of the day. He basically is not a question. Well, he kind of is a question. Jaime Mugia versus Golovkin is a public execution. Do you agree? Probably. However, Golovkin's getting old in the tooth. Mugia can punch. He does have energy, explosiveness, punches and bunches. So he could put some leather on Gennady early. And he has shown a very good chin. If his chin holds up against Golovkin... It could get interesting. If his chin doesn't hold up, yes, public execution because Gennady would counter him in between Munguia's wide shots. Munguia was another guy that everybody went ape shit about overnight. And I said, wait a second, slow down, slow down. Even my good friend Steve Kim, 
loved Mungia and was all on that uh, hype train. And, and or the, what do you call it? The Mungia Express. And I was like, Steve, pull back. I, I, there's, there's not, there, you know, this dude needs to, to develop more. And, you know, we've seen that now. So it is what it is. All right, guys, that's it for this episode. Uh, sorry again for the choppy audio and video. I promise we'll get that cleaned up. Thank you very much, guys, for the support. And uh, we'll do it again next week. I'll see you at the fights.